0: Happy Sands, Cole, and Titties, everyone, and welcome to part two of Goth Angel Sinners, a podcast about anarchy, anarchists, and anarchism, and not about Lil Peep.
1: are your hosts. I'm Chloe.
0: And I'm TrueBot.
1: we to talk today about Catalonia.
0: Yeet. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I do have to mention the fact that because, you know, this episode and the next episode are going to be about historical stuff. That we don't really want to be a history podcast. It just turned out that way. But uh, the plan, anyway, is to talk more about things similar to things that happened in the history stuff. You know, just sort of use it as like a... uh, What do you call that? The thing diving board? Jumping off point. Springboard jumping off point, yeah. Sure. That's how we intend to anyway, use historical stuff. So we're using
1: history to talk about ideas that we have now.
0: (laughs) Ideas that we could have now and in the future and have them better than the absolute failures of the past.
1: Or the absolute fake. Yeah, so, uh... The present. Uh,
0: present. present is bullshit and fake. So the first thing we're going to talk about, and you know, I thought we should just bring this up first because like our, uh, our, our, um, they show up a lot in all of this is the, uh, the CNT, which, um, I don't know how to pronounce what it, what it actually stands for, so we're just going to refer Confed- to it as the
1: Confederación Nacional del Trabajo.
0: Thank you. Something like uh, that. I'm assuming that's. <laughs> That's probably how they pronounce it in Catalonia. Um, uh, Castilian Spanish is illegal.
1: I, sh- I should and, note well, that, I, that I don't know shit about Spanish. <laughs>
0: uh, Castilian is the general, sort of, the majority of Spain. Kind of uses Castilian It's like Spanish, Spanish, I guess, and they pronounce everything weird. So if we're using the Castilian pronunciation, it's because we have zero respect for whatever it is we're talking about.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, anyone anyone who actually can pronounce that, don't get mad at me just because I was a fool who took Japanese in high school instead of
0: Spanish. I took German, which will actually be relevant later on because a lot of stuff to do with catalonia was published in this one german paper uh so and they're like one of the better sources on this for like first hand accounts but anyway as for the cnt there was this uh this one guy last month did a, sort of an interview where you explained the history of the CNT. It's uh, Chris Eelham EM. would
1: I'd, I'd pronounce it Ellen.
0: But... I <laughs> I apologize <laughs> and I'm gonna move on. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> So essentially the CNT was created just as your uh, your sort of standard fighting union. The ones that actually go out and aggressively try to get stuff done rather than, you know, the more common guys that just file paperwork kind of union that we have now. More on that in the future, probably. Uh, So, obviously they fought for things that were relevant at the time. Like, apparently nine-hour workday. Hilarious. And then uh, they also fought against the draft, which, given that this was like late 19th, early 20th century Spain, must have fucking sucked. Uh, So there's a uh, pretty good quote here where he says, uh, if we were to put a label on the CNT at birth, it would be most accurate to call it revolutionary syndicalist. It was established by a varied group of anarchist, republican, socialists and anarcho-syndicalists. Which... An
1: interesting ragtag group of chums.
0: Yeah, uh, I am sure that this group of people will, throughout history, work together very well. There will be no conflicts amongst them.
1: Yeah, no, there's no contradiction between their ideas whatsoever. They're just a group of friends who have some slight disagreements.
0: Since uh, we and everyone we know, for the most part, are American it might be relevant to sort of mention the fact that Republican in this context is the, uh, the European word Republican, where they want a Republic rather than dare I say a monarchy, uh, which is pretty revolutionary even in today's Europe, apparently. Yeah. Spain. What the fuck are you doing?
1: England. We're calling you out. Yeah. We're Longway, Sweden, Denmark. Get your shit together. Yeah. To cut, cut all
0: the, uh, oh, it's for tourist shit. You know what we do for tourism? We put, uh, not to totally like point out where I live locally, but we put giant uh, cherries on spoon statues. That, know, that's tourism here's, right there. Here's what, we fucking,
1: here's what we fucking do for tourists here. Free refills. All right. Yeah. Fuck. Okay, actually though, free refills aren't <laughs> like, a thing. Other places.
0: Like, what the hell? <laughs> oh, oh, Fuck you. Queen. Oh, we got
1: refills. Yeah, no, we can have as much beverage as
0: we want. Yeah, can can your queen get you that? Uh, no. no, it's time
1: to it's time for, it's time to get with the Republic, all right?
0: Yeah, R- Republican beverages—that's what we're all about. That's what um, we're about here. That's why we use the Republican calendar. Yeah, which we do. <laughs> <laughs> if
1: that's a common thing in America for those of you that are live outside of America every American uses the French Republican calendar.
0: Yeah, for international reasons we use the Gregorian calendar, but you know, we're we probably shouldn't we're going to get like censored for this, but we're we're letting you know. Yeah, day to day life.
1: A... <laughs> this is the the big the big American secret. This is the scandal.
0: <laughs> we're, we're we're breaking the silence, popping the bubble letting everyone know the
1: truth about america
0: yeah so uh, back on topic
1: back on topic uh this next quote that i hear
0: i don't think we actually have to read that one but if you want to go ahead i liked it um uh
1: the spanish workers were among the poorest in europe and the subsistence capitalist economy was in near permanent malaise spain had lost its empire when other european powers were building theirs and there was nothing like the labor aristocracy that existed in england and germany where a minority of better off workers might even get to buy a house so basically life in spain was shit
0: <laughs> yeah spain fucking sucked so the cnt was you know they were showing up they were saying hey shit sucks let's stop sucking
1: so Let's much. make shit not suck. What if shit was good?
0: Yeah, what if shit was less suck?
1: Less less suck, more buck.
0: That's yeah, the so,
1: CNT motto. Uh,
0: yeah, the, the first place they thought to less suck was uh, obviously Barcelona, sort of where the CNT started, but it, it eventually spread th- throughout uh, Spain land and sort of... Uh, you know, what's the word? Organized industry and agriculture throughout, including rail. I don't know why I put that down. It's it's important to know that they also had rail. Yeah, and
1: it's important to note that uh, the CNT was an industrial union, not like a trade union. So they were yeah. based on the industry you were working on rather than the particular job you worked on. So that it, you were more effective at uh beheading your boss, you know or whatever else you tried to do
0: it's the uh everyone that works there is better chance at uh beheading your boss than just the uh the clerks or fucking whatever
1: unions work better unions work better when everyone in a in a workplace is working together rather than. The electrical workers and the janitors and the and the phone answerers all competing against each other.
0: Yeah, I think there's a word for phone answers, but more on that later. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: one no, there's no there doesn't need to be a word for phone answers.
0: So the uh, while it was an industrial union, over time it tried adopting more syndicalist methods, which I don't think is like, you know super radical in comparison to industrial unions but it was still you know beyond the line a lot of people were willing to cross so leading up to the spanish civil war there wasn't a huge amount of adoption of syndicalism in the cnt the main point main takeaway of that is the fact that the cnt wasn't super monolithic going into the spanish civil war even though it ends up becoming a like, huge player in it. it. It wasn't perfectly intact and ready for it.
1: And there's a section in the article. What's that? What's that
0: about? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the, yeah. Do you want to look at that? I think I assumed that I would open up the article when I talked about it. Big mistake. If you read the notes, the uh, the article that, it, that this is all from, it talks a lot more about like exactly what the cnt was as compared to like a different union but for this discussion it's not super relevant Yeah, one of the more controversial things the CNT did uh, was in in late 1936 members of the CNT FAI joined the Catalan government in an attempt to counter what they feared to be potential effects of the Generalitat of Catalonia being completely controlled by the Unified Socialist Party of Catalonia, or the PSUC 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 <laughs> <laughs> Can't call them that, that would make it good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean I think that I think that brings up the first point about uh why running for office is is an okay thing to do. Is that think of if you if you win, who are you keeping out of office? Right. Like either you can have cool anarcho city council member or you can have P-suck. <laughs> Wait, that makes you're right, that doesn't make him sound good. <laughs>
0: You see, the the issue, like in this case, with being totally anti-electoralism, is the fact that the Socialist Party was already in the generalitat. It was it, it wasn't like you know, oh, leftists can't join government. Leftists were already in the government. they were just being assholes about it. And the uh, the CNT decided that you know, what if instead of them, we have our guys go in, and just sort of destroy the government. Which eh, isn't exactly always going to be the case. You can't entirely, in every case, join the government and then immediately just abolish government. Yeah, you can. Well, not in every case, though. That's the thing is in this case, they were they had enough popular support that they could, you know, get enough people in the government that they could sort of just let it fall not apart. Not a
1: good idea. You can do it though.
0: So, yeah, the, the first point was really, is is this completely contradictory for an anarchist? And, and as you've said, no. Uh, I went further to say that uh, this is kind of like the iPhone argument. The argument against doing it is predicated on the idea that partaking in something validates that thing's existence.
1: Um, so I do have to uh, disagree there, because I do think um, that... Uh, that you shouldn't own an iPhone if you're... I, I, I don't know. I was going to make a joke, actually.
0: The point is, uh, if you own an iPhone, that doesn't mean that you support capitalism. And if you're joining a government, that doesn't mean that you're, like, validating the existence of the government, especially since, like, the state is sort of validated by, uh, like, militaries and police and shit.
1: It's It's kind of that, like, loosely coming from, like, social contract theory where, like they think your your participation or approval of or, you know uh, the, the people's approval of the government or something like that however that's decided whether it be participation or whatever is how the government gets its legitimacy rather than the actual like manner of which governments get legitimacy which is through violence and oppression and
0: uh, right i'm i'm voting for this guy i like i'm not voting for the government to exist
1: I'm, I'm voting for the guy who's going to hurt us a little bit less, rather than.
0: Right. I mean, because at, at the end of the day, the institutions of the state continue to exist. It's just I'd rather a guy who is aware of that institution rather than someone that's going to be like, "Hell yeah, this institution, let's abuse the hell out of this to make it somehow manageably worse." Yeah. Like okay,
1: there's always that like edgy, edgy thing people will say. It's like no matter who you vote for, you're still ruled by the state and like that's kind of absolutely correct in a backwards way and that like yeah it, it, no matter who gets elected it's going to keep existing your choice to not participate or to participate doesn't change that it, like can make it mildly better at least
0: right i don't think I think the thing is, is that a lot of these people view it as like, oh, we're going to vote in a socialist and that socialist is going to enact actual socialism. And then they get super disappointed when that socialist turns out to be a huge piece of shit like everyone else that goes into politics. And then, you know, so there's this whole thing of like, oh, electoralism sucks because this person I liked turned out to actually just be lying to me to get my support. Be like, yeah, that's not exactly a reason not to run that's a reason not to like you know vote for people that just said some things you liked once
1: I mean it's a reason to not rely on electoralism as like your only or your primary strategy for change
0: right it's it's not gonna bring about your revolution by just voting for the right people
1: yeah it's like voting and having people run for office is necessary, but it's not sufficient. And there's this weird thing like people will do on the left where if you say something's necessary, then they think you're saying it's sufficient. Or if you say something is insufficient, they think you're saying it's not necessary.
0: Yes. Uh, just because something isn't going to do everything for you doesn't mean that it should be completely discarded. Because that's... Uh... That's defeatism, and that's nihilism, and we don't do that here. We do huge dunks.
1: We dunk on nerds on Twitter who think that property rights exist. We don't. We don't give up.
0: So I guess to sort of further our uh, discussion here, I, I found this post by the Weebertarians, uh, everyone's favorite weed page. <laughs> I don't think they were uh, completely necessarily talking about this sort of thing but it is relevant or they said some anarchists feel that the transition to statelessness cannot take place without first working through the state to protect people from its collapse and then rebuild from there, which, you know, as we just said, it's not that it's cannot take place that, uh, that protection of the people from the collapse is something that should be done.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like, um, I think William Gillis made a post on Twitter or something like that about how, like, it, even though he was an anarchist and wanted to abolish the state, if given the option to immediately abolish the state, he wouldn't do it because, like, millions of people would die because they're on, like, as they depend on the government for survival.
0: Right. We need a uh, smooth and natural transition. Something that, like, isn't immediately... Going to just disconnect everyone from their resources and then they're just stumbling around in the dark trying to reconnect with the world. There needs to be, you know, movement towards that end before it can totally reach that conclusion. Uh, Which, you know, brings us to a further thing that they said, which is uh, the end will always be a reflection of the means. So create the means how they would be in the end to have a natural transition, which I support. I don't think that, you know, working with the state means that you're completely overriding any sort of prefigurative situations going on. I think it's really more of an acknowledgement of the fact that there are things that can be done to ease things.
1: I think it, uh, to me, that as a, like, fuck, what was I trying to say? Okay, so... um, The way a lot of people view, like anarchists or communists or whoever working within uh, the state, or merely, or or not even working within the state, but just like supporting legislation or supporting politicians, you know, reforms. um, They have this idea that whatever whatever their support, it has to it has to be the end goal. Like you know, if you support a a bill and the bill raises the minimum wage um there's there's this kind of idea that well raising the minimum wage isn't enough it's not raising the minimum wage doesn't end capitalism and that when working within the state like that i don't think ending capitalism or ending the state necessarily has to be the goal rather like the goal should be to create conditions in which those things can't happen and raising the minimum wage does do that because it improves the livelihoods of the people you're hoping to do that
0: right I think there's uh, a lot of people immediately, so something becomes similar to, you know, the term incrementalism comes up with just the, uh, oh, it seems like these politicians are just giving us micro steps towards our end goal just to ease our anguish or whatever, rather than actually giving up power to move towards a stateless society or that sort of thing. mm mm-hmm. You know, even if we're not considering incrementalism, even if we're not considering using the state to abolish the state, there is this sort of idea where, as they're sort of implying with this post, is the like that they prefer prefigurative politics over electoralism, but those two can work very well hand-in-hand. Hand. You know, mm-hmm. this sort of diversity of tactics sort of thing, where if you are attempting to create a prefigure, like, say, a commune within a township, Having people on the city council for that township or, you know, some other level of government that has jurisdiction over that can help to ensure the stability of that prefigure. Because you you won't have, if, say, there's a push within the government to, like, oh, get this filthy commune off our land, like, go all, uh, what's the term, take their land. What's the one? Uh, Eminent domain. Yeah, eminent domain just, like, find some eminent domain excuse to take their land away from them and get this prefigure or commune out of here. Like, if there's a push for that, having people there to tell them fuck off is a lot better than just, like, not having that option. Not everything has to be a direct confrontation.
1: Yeah, I'd much rather have the city council member who, at the very least, is skeptical of the police. Right. I'd much rather have the city council member who, who realizes that uh, the, the solution to homeless people is giving people homes.
0: I'd much rather have that vote to kick the homeless people out, never go through, than have to get out in the streets and fight the police off to protect the homeless people.
1: Exactly. And that's, that's the diversity of tactics
0: it's not that you know we never will go out in the streets to fight off the police it's that it's something that we should only have to do if pushed that far rather than
1: fighting the police is actually something we should avoid um, fighting the police gets people hurt it gets people in jail um, and the less people we have hurt and in jail the better
0: you know just in general a society is better when fewer people are dead or incarcerated
1: yes especially when those particular people are the people who are fighting for a better society
0: that's sort of our take on uh diversity of tactics with respect to uh electoralism this is the part where we're going to insert a whole segment I guess the uh, most reasonable place to start would be to just sort of ask you to introduce yourself and what it is you're aiming for.
2: Sure. Um, my name is Jam Carrico. Uh, I'm a community organizer, a parent of two kids. I was in the Navy for a little while. Grew up pretty conservative through, like, liberation theology. Started becoming, you know, more leftist, and then now I'm more agnostic, but... That was kind of my entry point into activism and stuff, environmental activism especially. done a lot of labor organizing and uh, work with uh, prison abolition and anti-fascist work specifically. I guess the goal of the campaign is, uh, is, is kind of entryism, I guess you would call it. Uh, it's where we're just trying to get people who are liberal or uh, who never think about ideas outside the ballot box to take those ideas legitimately. Basically, and you know, with with conservatives, I found that we can kind of like talk about how workplaces are like little states, you know, and that, that, that's that's we can compare the hierarchy of a state to the hierarchy of capitalism, and usually can get some ground there. But with liberals, I found it was really hard to even get ground, you know, because they're just kind of elitist a lot of times. If you, but I found that like if you can kind of give them a little bit of a nod to their thing and then lampoon it while doing it and say that it's not, you know, it's not the thing itself, but but point to what could be done and what is being done outside of it. Um, It seems to be able to reach an audience that, honestly, we we don't necessarily get otherwise.
0: I think the, uh, sort of, what got us really interested in what you're doing in particular is that, you know, a lot of, anarchists in general have this sort of purist view of doing anything to do with electoralism for any reason whatsoever so which sort of brings up the question of what is your sort of defense against those people and that sort of purity politics kind of thing
2: no tactic in a bubble isolated of itself works Right. you create a climate where consciousness can grow better you know, like uh, where more consciousness, more working class consciousness can grow. I mean, and you build the, the the structures for which that can happen, which people can engage with, incentive that people can see that they can that value that they don't get from their wage their wage labor jobs in their community. You, you build these things, you build something that they can see you through praxis, and you'll get a mile further than a hundred years of ideology. You know, if you if you if you show people something better than. What they have, which is not a very high bar to break at this point, even in you know, the United States, I mean, with, with, with our you know, privilege, uh, I think that if we can show people that there's a much more vast array of tactics that we have to engage with our social structures and uh, our communities, and that those can provide more value than a m- minimum wage job, those provide more, more community than Facebook, more protection and defense and security than the state apparatus that any people will flock to that kind of thing, and once they see it it'll actually work, and so I think that the purity of like saying that we shouldn't engage in electoral politics. Well, I mean that's fine. I mean, don't you know? That's that's that we haven't been, and most people don't, you know. So that's so if it doesn't work, it's not. You know, whatever, you know. But, but it's a stage, it's a platform, it's a megaphone, it's there to be picked up, and it only takes twenty five signatures, you know what I mean, to to run for office. So yeah. I mean you might as well try to get the word out any stage and medium possible, you know? If there's a billboard, spray paint it, you
0: know? Well, not. I think uh, the issue becomes a lot of people view it more as, like, if you're running for office, you intend to do something along the lines of incrementalism rather than, like you are saying, it's more of a diversity of tactics and platformism. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, if I
2: I doubt any legislation that was, you know, radical enough to do anything like really powerful to change things would be able to be passed. But you could potentially, you know, allocate resources in some way through just word of mouth if you did win to be able to start, you know, councils, community councils, community enterprises, or, or replace democracies. You could maybe use that platform if you did win even bigger, you know, like even more so. But I don't. But, I, but again, I'm not trying to say that, that electoral politics or legislation or reform is the answer. I, I believe in a revolution. I believe we need to build the capacity for a revolution. I believe we need to build a canopy of defense against the coming collapse and a foundation for something different. That doesn't I don't, I don't think that just looks like online critique and, and, and I don't think it just looks like eating up larpers. I don't think it just looks like food on bombs. I think it looks like all those days coming together in a very focused way, networked throughout. United
0: States that can show uh, um, a better model. Uh, that's good stuff, in my opinion. Anyway, the, uh, the sort of idea that, like, all we can do is revolution or something like that rather than, you know, we live in today, not some hypothetical future. That kind of stuff is d- definitely something that I think, anyway, that we should move towards. So I guess uh, with, with regards to, as you are saying, you're very active in like anti-fascist sort of action if you were to actually win an election and get into office how what sort of ideas do you have towards what someone in office could do to support anti-fascism
2: well to support anti-fascism specifically i think that we go to the communities who are most affected and marginalized by the fascism that exists in our government right now um so i think giving overpower two people who are the most marginalized and getting the power in their hands to write their legislation to, and, to, and to implement their ideas, that's going to be that. Just, just basically go to the communities that are most affected by these kind of things and, and listen and then figure out what how we can get power into their hands and democracy outside the ballot box and into the, those communities. And so decision-making can be made by people most affected as far as labor and things like that i mean i think that just if if we're talking about if if someone did win you know just putting ideas out there that can't be unthought you know um disrupting the narrative If, if, if you can tell somebody like a ceo can take a vacation for a week and make 500 times the amount of the employees still working and nothing goes wrong but if those employees making the same amount of all together, a vacation, you could obviously see there would be a problem. So you can see that the, just the mechanisms themselves don't make
3: sense, and
2: just keep pointing out that they don't make sense, and one-to-ten pay ratio sounds like a way better idea than continually upping a minimum wage and then them continually raising prices. I mean, it's not it's still reform, but if really, you get people thinking under those lines, maybe they'll, they'll stop buying into it, the propaganda, so, so much, you know, if we have our own narrative
0: out there so sort of like giving people an alternative to just letting fascism win sort of thing
2: yeah yeah i mean just getting getting people to uh consider that we already live under the most heavily militarized imperialist force you know we, we uh getting people to realize that both sides don't really uh one side co-ops social movements and one side propagandizes people to blame people of the working class who have no more agency than they do um, for the problems that exist, you
0: know? right, um, yeah, yeah, I get that,
2: and just from having conversations with people, you know, um, of different ideologies, uh, I'm a, um, I go to Waffle House sometimes, and I sit down with this guy who's Republican, we talk talked about Roosevelt. we've talked about, we talked, talked about the Spanish, the Spanish Republicans, you know, and just using, just avoiding certain keywords, and then using other words, and stuff like that, and then you know, eventually, you know, he calls me a comedy now and stuff like that. Even though I'm more of an anarchist, uh, but you know, he he he. Under, but he, but we have come to conclusions that like we, there are ways to like talk about what we will, what we actually want, and then as long as we can get away from electoral politics almost to a certain extent, get away from party politics, talking about that, and talk about what we actually want to see, that sustainable communities, networks that are capable of defense, that are that are using less uh, transportation and using more. Uh, what we already have and sharing that together and buying in bulk to save on uh what we buy otherwise you know these are all things we can agree on it's just a matter of like there's so much propaganda and Appalachia itself is a disenfranchised community a lot of times I mean people are made fun of because of their accents people are made fun of uh like just you know their culture you know that it's a a, and yet you know also it's, it's 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 a it's a culture deeply seated in racism but Appalachia is is multi is not as you know is a multicultural group of people you know in a multicultural region so it's hard to sometimes break some of the symbolism away from people um who may have intents that aren't what we might assume just from the outset you know yeah yeah I mean, I grew up in the South, and, and I, I didn't know the history of the uh, – when I was a kid, you know, of the rebel flag. I would see that in some places, and people would be like, it's rebellion against the government, basically. That's, like, what I think a lot of people grew up with kind of thing. And then, like, they're propagandized to believe that the left is the one making these things bad, right? And if they weren't bad before, and now they're bad, and it's an attack on their culture, right? And so, like, they don't, and like, but they, but it's, it's just, it just, it comes from the fact that education, you know, it comes from the fact that people just haven't been, they've been marginalized, and they know they've been marginalized, but they blame the people who are the working class because they've been told to blame people who are the working class, and the Democrats and and the, don't really respond to their needs. So it's a, it's a real shitty situation, and it seems like a lot of people have grasped onto, you know, libertarianism or worse, in order to to kind of, like, find identity.
0: I noticed you you mentioned the, uh, you know, talking about the Spanish Republicans, and you've name-dropped Catalonia elsewhere. What what exactly does all, all of that mean to you with regards to our current state of things?
2: I believe that we can build... Councils in our communities that can help us control our resources. I believe we have a uh, really amazing opportunity to do that if we can work with, uh, in tandem with, in, like solar enterprises. I mean, the, the way that Zapatista and the and the way that the uh, the, the Spanish Republicans, and the way that a lot of these revolutions took place, it was it was about turning production over to the community, right? With solar power. I'm not trying to say that it's the best thing. It still, it still takes mountaintop removal. It still is, or it still is not the. What I'm, but what it, it can put power into the hands of the community because it can save so much money that those people can put that money into community enterprise and start really bolstering neighborhoods to be the things that cities used to be. And when we can deconstruct the cities, that's that's where we can start because the larger living a enough number require the importation of resources. Isn't sustainable. Maybe maybe there's ways to make it sustainable in the long run, over time with technology, it could be. Yes, but like right now we're facing a collapse scenario. And so the more that we can have this kind of like local, super local, resource distribution, and, and, and resource control and, and labor control, then the then the better I think will be environmentally uh and not, i mean let alone democratically let alone you know uh, all of those other things that are super super important to the emancipation and liberation of the human species but also for the continuation of the human species we have to look at I, mean, it, I think that it goes hand in hand i i came from you know uh deep ecology or whatever you want to call it i'm i'm i'm, I'm a little bit more libertarian socialist or anarcho syndicalist now but i do feel like that's one of the major things facing us and if if we can cut production down to a much more localized level and, and meet our needs in our neighborhoods as much as we can and start to build that, then a lot of the problems that we see will be alleviated because we'll start to see each other, we'll start to see how these mechanisms work and not be able to be fooled by these capitalists who want to come in and take our resources and send them to Wall Street,
0: you know. Decentralization and environmentalism are very key points there, I suppose one thing that's sort of come up as like a discourse thing, especially now that we're, uh, you know, deep in hurricane season, so this sort of thing becomes a very relevant is sort of the idea of prosecuting theft on like the same level as other crimes and that sort of thing. W- what is your position on like people out of necessity stealing from stores, whether they're open or not? You know,
2: nature gave us so much that nobody worked
0: for. Right. Nobody earned. And then we put it all in glass boxes, and if you
3: take it from that glass box without paper, then you get put in a cage.
2: For a moral, ethical realm, if you start from outside of that perspective, people out of necessity taking things, I mean, it's, it's what people need, you know, if, if their the needs need to be met, people have to go, meet their needs, people are trying to survive. Uh-huh. I think to like, try trying to demonize people when they're trying to survive. Whenever, I mean,
3: uh, like the, the amount of money stolen from banks
2: every year is, 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 so why do the police use more money to prevent well, bank robberies and wage theft? Oh, uh, Because it's system maintenance, right? Yeah. Somebody can put $42.20 for a 24-pack of water, right? Yeah. But if somebody comes in and takes that pack of water, then they can be shot. You know, that's,
3: especially if that are a person of color. Right. If you're, there's Ryan Har. I think it's Ryan, is it David uh, Robick's or
2: Ryan Harvey has a line that said, "If you're if you're if you're black, then you're a looter. If you're white, you're just finding food."
0: Yeah, it's definitely a lot more about protecting the uh, established morality than it is about, as a lot of people try to make it actual economic arguments. That's just something that comes up a lot in. <laughs> Oddly enough, day-to-day life, but especially now that we're in a uh, natural disaster kind of situations where people face that as a uh, a daily reality. That wraps up just about everything we had to ask about. Is there anything sort of that you'd want to like plug or advertise before you go? I think
2: that if you're interested in uh, internationalist work, look up the IRPGF. They're um, doing great stuff with. The- I think that there's there's a lot that that I think we could suggest in terms of bettering our society and some things are needed to be done on a national level because they're just that big of projects. I mean, energy, I I think that we should pay nurses and doctors and scientists to go to school just like we pay military, you know, so I think there's certain things that need to be done on a much larger basis and it would be much more effective that way. But if the decision making should still come from the people who are whose resources are being used to do this, and uh, I think that that can't happen without a resource distribution or, or redistribution of resources. And so, how, I think that we have to figure out how we're going to create a situation in which we have the ability to do that. Anybody who's interested in anything like that um, about creating volunteer community enterprises, or um, we have a twelve-week program. The IRPGF is, uh, is trying to establish that that can. Um, go into communities with, the uh, with six people, with somebody who lives in that community who's, who's, uh, spearheading that, who can, uh, start doing work trades, skill shares, uh, things like that, and start, uh, community gardens, and, and start building these kind of processes from the ground up in multiple, uh, communities at once. And, uh, if anybody's interested in those kind of things, uh, please hit me up. That's one of the major things we're trying to signal boost with this campaign.
0: Is there ways people can, uh, hit you up? Did...
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um. How to overthrow
0: an empire at gmail.com. Thank you for answering the questions then, uh, doing this in general.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Moving on to a uh, revolutionary Catalonia, and th- this one's fun because, uh, yes, I'm not totally into doing meta commentary, but <laughs> the uh, when this was initially meant to happen, this podcast back in like October 2017, it was super relevant because A, that was when the referendum was happening. And B, around that time, I got into a lot more arguments with neoliberals on the internet than I do nowadays, where it's mostly, like, neocolonialists and Leninists. Monarchists?
1: There's been a strange rise in, like, the number of monarchists on
3: Twitter.
1: Yeah. Like, have I just dug myself into the world where they've already existed, or are there just more of them?
0: It it could be both, but I do know... uh... the thing is, near the end of 2017, I gave myself this sort of, like, challenge to somehow bring up Catalonia in every single argument I got into, which I did quite a bit. So I ended up having a lot of cases where, you know, talking about what happened revolutionary Catalonia was extremely relevant. Because, you know, that whole, like, oh, that would never work. And then here's all these examples of it working to, you know, some extent. Which uh, which we get to talk about, and now we get to talk about uh, because we're not in a Twitter argument. We're uh, up on our pedestal out here. <laughs> we get to actually mention the flaws and what could be done better, which is fun.
1: What could be done better? Nothing. It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Um, they didn't. Uh, they totally abolished all money in all ways. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They had free iPhones for everybody.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wish I was born, you know, in the 30s so I could have been around when they handed out all those free iPhones in Catalonia.
1: There was so much food. There was so much food everywhere. (laughs) They didn't, they totally, they totally abolished markets.
0: So essentially, uh, one of the things, like, I guess the primary thing that people like to mention about revolutionary Catalonia is that they did collectivize a lot of their land. And, you know, the Republic even collectivized a lot of land because the issue becomes the fact that because a lot of this was totally, you know, anti-statist sort of stuff, they didn't entirely have legal records of expropriation. To be
1: fair, that is astrology for bureaucrats.
0: Legal stuff is stupid. I
1: mean, keeping data on things is cool.
0: It's funny because... I like using the word expropriation there, because a lot of people immediately use like this whole, like, oh, expropriation requires a state, and uh, what they think they're saying is, in order to expropriate land, you need a state to do it, but what they're actually saying is the definition of expropriation precludes a state, <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, but it doesn't, though, that's one definition, the common definition, I suppose, the one that you're using, but we're saying that it's possible without it, and in fact, literally done in this case, so... <laughs> The estimate, anyway, even without the records, is that anywhere from half to two-thirds of their uh, cultivated land was actually expropriated. That's pretty neat. (laughs) Somewhat side note, the fact that a lot of the larger landowners all kind of, they were scared to shit of the revolution, so they fled to the nationalists. Shocking.
1: I know. Who would expect landowners to support fascists? I never would have guessed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not me. (laughs) As is the case in a lot of systems, they they didn't have absentee ownership of land. So farmers could only cultivate, or farmers could only hold land that they could cultivate. They weren't allowed to hire workers, and they weren't allowed to just hold land for no reason. So they had their plot of land that they could do. As well as the fact that because they couldn't hire labor, they were also restricted and they could only cultivate as much as they could transport into town to the markets or wasn't necessarily markets. Well, you know, and uh, the way they would enforce this was the fact that you wouldn't be able to take your food into town if you were hiring labor or whatever in the anarcho-syndicalist townships of course in the uh, the socialist ones they were uh, they didn't really have as strict of rules so they they allowed wage
1: labor like true socialists
0: <laughs> yeah like any true socialist they allowed absentee ownership and therefore the creation of private property outside of personal property as they like to say
1: uh, they're the true, they're the true socialists
0: yeah i mean socialist is in their name and as we all know the declaration of oneself as the uh, authority on a topic makes you the authority on that topic
1: yeah i mean look putting something in your name means that that is your name and that is that is what you are
0: yeah which is why i changed my display name to mix epistemology so everyone knows i'm the authority on epistemology
1: did you not hear that the that the gender neutral uh, equivalent, Mister or Miss, is actually MF?
0: <laughs> My fucking epistemology.
1: <laughs> That's how I am to be
0: addressed. <laughs> um, so, um, as uh, also comes up a lot in internet debates about this whole thing is how was distribution handled then? And it was handled by uh, local committees, which, if I recall, sort of had, like, this whole rotating membership sort of thing, which is pretty basic, pretty day-one anarchy Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, They were all basically chapters of the CNT-FAI, which is pretty neat. They used a lot of, like... Churches, mostly churches as distribution centers uh if they didn't burn them,
1: why would they burn down the house of the lord
0: well, because uh they weren't huge fans of the Catholics due ah. to something to do with uh all of European history,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, they they also use them for other stuff like schools or dining halls or barracks. Uh, the school thing, I'm kinda disappointed I didn't get around to reading, but I guess if you check the notes, there's some links that sort of talk about it. But the uh, the German newspaper I mentioned earlier has a lot of stuff about how they did schooling and stuff. It's pretty interesting. Hmm. I
1: wish I knew more about that. Schools are I do
0: too. Cool. But
1: we don't listen to a podcast to find out about things the hosts just say god it'd be cool to know about that thing
0: (laughs) (laughs) come on there's already seven pages of notes i'm (laughs) cool with what we have
1: maybe we'll do an episode on anarchist education or something like that
0: um as you sort of indicated earlier they, they did abolish money more or less uh depending on the area uh, there's this really neat quote that uh, I posted on Twitter after I spent an hour trying to track down exactly where it comes from. It's from that German newspaper. Uh, where they say? Uh, Rockefeller, if you were to come to Fraga with your entire bank account, you would not be able to buy a cup of coffee. Money, your god and your servant, has been abolished here, and the people are happy. It's kind of cute. It's really cute.
1: That's pretty. That's pretty lit, as the kids would say today.
0: Yeah, um, I'm not perfect at German, but I think the original quote actually also mentions that uh, cream in said coffee. (laughs) But I think the translation that I originally found is just fine. It gets the point across.
1: It's fair and true.
0: But, you know, it, it leaves sort of an ambiguity of perhaps with all of the money Rockefeller had at the time, he could buy just black coffee. But not coffee or cream.
1: You could you could buy you could buy coffee, but if you want cream,
0: you know you you're at the cafe. You're like, hey, I'll pay you like 160 billion dollars for a cup of coffee, and so they give it to you for all of you all of that, and then you're like, oh, can I get some cream? And they're like, no, that's extra. <laughs>
1: That actually kind of reminds me of this idea that me and my brother had for a for a Wi-Fi cafe type thing where the coffee and food was free, but the Wi-Fi you had to pay
0: for. I thought you were about to say that kind of reminds me of that scene in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> anyway.
1: <laughs> anyway, so back to Spider-Man 3, the important things.
0: <laughs> so, but on to the, to the general concepts of how they abolished money. So uh, locally produced goods, like goods produced in the same area as you, you were distributed freely, if abundant. Otherwise, they'd have like a uh, sort of coupon system, which uh, i not hugely here for, but get, get to that in a bit. Uh, when they had extra stuff that wasn't being distributed, they would exchange it with other anarchist towns. So they just, you know, just be like a, a goods exchange. Whereas uh, there were other towns that didn't have money abolished. So those towns, they would, I guess, they would just collect the money in basically a communal bank account, which was used for stuff like people leaving town. But uh, the coupon system was, uh, eh, not not cool. I'd say because it's kind of like money where uh, you, you still had to work and they would like stamp your coupon every day when you went to work. So then you could use it at places, which is essentially just like you carry around a ledger. Yeah. Bitcoin.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'd say it's slightly cooler than like money proper, but still not cool. Um, Cause it still does the same thing of like, still performs that same function of like forcing people to work in order to survive being a restriction on people getting the things they want and need.
0: It sort of reminds me of what a lot of uh, leftists like to call labor vouchers.
1: Yeah. Which,
0: which is essentially a, uh, a reification of the concept of like a labor theory of value where you're basically directly paid for, things and the entire currency is backed by labor rather than anything that matters well
1: it's the thing about it is that it's it's some money but it's not a currency yeah because there's no current to it it doesn't flow it's created upon giving it to the worker and destroyed upon the
0: worker spending it right uh, they did have currency though as, as i mentioned
1: yeah for those particular like labor voucher things interesting because they don't really allow for like accumulation of wealth
0: Right, because it's, it's meaningless unless spent.
1: Solves one problem, but uh, it's it by no means is like a thing that's going to make a good society.
0: It's a uh, it's very uh, dare I say like middle school. <laughs> 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 anyway, no. So the towns would, as I mentioned, uh, when they traded and whatnot, they would collect currency from towns that did use it.
1: Actually, there's something there's something interesting about that that just reminded me. In like David Graeber's debt, he talks about how a barter economy within a society has never existed, and the only times barter has really been the primary means of like distribution has been between communities. And like this is a fairly modern like example of this of barter being fake and only existing among people who don't know each other and
0: large groups. <laughs> it's modern depending on whether you define modern based on philosophy or art <laughs> <laughs> so otherwise it could be postmodern
1: <laughs> like this is I, I mean this is the postmodern neo marxist um
0: right of, like, um this is this
1: is what the the nomos are trying to get us to uh, learn about
0: no so so the um the currency thing is important though because they did collect it as a town and then Whenever residents wanted to leave to a place that used currency, they would have to go to the committee and ask for it. Which was typically, you know, actually fulfilled. They didn't use currency for their actual resources. They, they mostly just used distribution for food. Which, which we're all fans of as uh, avid liftists. The idea of uh, community stores where one simply goes and grabs what they need and walks home with it without any hassle is is great. The issue becomes the fact that this was early twentieth century Spain right after and during a massive civil war, right after a huge worldwide war. So you know, resources weren't totally up to par so they did lack a lot of stock in the towns that did that rather than the ones that used the coupon system which was essentially i guess in this case we could call it something like a ration
1: one of the documentaries i've seen about uh, catalonia a guy guy in it being interviewed points out that like you know you could go to the store and you could get however much meat you wanted but like what's the point in taking four pounds of meat today if two pounds is enough and you can always come back tomorrow? Yeah, Liftism is good. It works. It's the way of the future. It's also the way of the past and the way of the present.
0: Yeah, the the people that are like, well, what's to stop me from taking so-and-so are assholes and they're outing themselves as such.
1: Yeah, there's no reason for you to take 200 iPhones when 100 is enough.
0: Right, and I mean, who's going to stop you? Probably nobody, because see, while well, the issue here is that they lacked the production to totally fulfill a distributive system like this, I don't think that we'd live in a modern world where that is such a thing as you know, evidenced by, as we mentioned in the last one, food's just constantly thrown away.
1: I threw away a quarter pot of rice the other day, because I'm a terrible person. But guess what? It doesn't matter.
0: Like, do we do we want a baker that throws away a hundred loaves at the end of the day, or do we want an asshole that takes those hundred loaves for themselves?
1: I'd much rather have an asshole taking the, taking the hundred loaves.
0: All right, and we can all mock him as Bread Boy.
1: <laughs> all right, I support Bread Boy, though. Critical support <laughs> for Bread Boy.
0: But the thing is that we don't live in sort of society. The, uh, <laughs> we don't live in the world that this happened in. Uh, which I guess is sort of like uh, me just giving myself an out
1: We don't live in poor rural Spain
0: right the, we the live 19,
1: in from uh, the 1930s
0: I live in the uh, What's it called the uh, the Midwest megalopolis? Where we have such things
1: and I live in New York, New York. I don't live in New York <laughs> Literally never been to New York
0: neither have I <laughs>
1: um so i like talking about new york uh
0: this is the part where it just sort of devolves into anecdotes because uh my resources just devolved into anecdotes here but they're fun anecdotes so we we can talk about them um
1: anecdotes are good and the only form of evidence i accept
0: right uh so some communities abolished alcohol and tobacco (laughs)
1: frustrated communities
0: right well, they thought they were cool. I'm. I mean, I'm fine with people being straight edge. I'm not fine with people that are like, "Ooh, look at us. We're the moral high ground. We abolished alcohol and tobacco." But they, but really, they just suck. So they're like, "Hey, guys, you know what's cool about anarchy? Abolishing alcohol."
1: You know what's cool about anarchy? Not having fun ever. Right. Anarchy is when you impose the state on yourself.
0: That that one's just sort of like. Uh, Prohibition is silly. Uh, it doesn't work. You're just being an asshole to people that are dependent on those substances. And I mean, alcohol and tobacco are both... You know, I don't really have any numbers to back this, so I'm not going to speak too much of a, uh, as an authority on this, but they are heavily dependent on scenarios. Uh, you know, people tend to drink more when their lives are depressing, and they tend to use tobacco more when forget exactly what it's basically same situation poor people mostly use tobacco so i can see an argument to like usage going down because of a more uh egalitarian system being adopted but i don't see a point to enforcing that
1: yeah in our future utopia all drugs will be legalized and they'll also be safe and non-addictive yes I think that's I think there's a tr- somewhat of a truth behind that though in that like access to care for people who are prone to addiction will be available and like and also like the conditions which lead people to self medicate uh and like such as you know having unmet needs and being poor and depressed because as a result of that and such will will be far less prevalent but you know anyway
0: there there's another anecdote That I didn't write down. And I'm kind of sad that I didn't. I think it's because the the quote about it was really long. And I didn't feel like typing anything out about it. But it was about marriage. Because a lot of people were still fairly religious. So they still wanted ceremonial marriages. But at the same time. Marriage as it is in our modern society. Is heavily based around legality. uh, Rather than actual spirituality which is extremely silly, but that's how it is. So the legality of it all becomes part of that ceremony. So they still wanted the filling out of the form, the doing all that. So what they created was this beautiful compromise. And I don't think I'll ever get married, but if I do, this is exactly how I want it done. They would kind of like we have, you know, like non-ceremonial weddings these days where you go down to the courthouse with you and your spouse and then a couple of family and friends there as witnesses and then you fill out the forms and say your vows if you want to but it's really just a bureaucratic thing
1: i have feel i have feelings about that that i want to talk about but when you're done
0: right uh well it's essentially that and then they go to but in this case you do it at committee rather than like a courthouse and so the committee would do it they'd fill out the form you'd sign it your spouse would sign it and then as you're leaving they would tear it up and they would sprinkle it on you like confetti.
1: <laughs> that's really cute.
0: That is adorable. And I
1: love it. All right. But okay. So when I was, uh, when I was a young teenager, I was thinking, I was being edgy and I was thinking about marriage. I'm like, yeah, marriage is dumb and I weddings are dumb. And that's just like in the future, if I ever get married, I'll just get like a uh, go to the courthouse, you know, sign the paper, whatever
0: me IRL.
1: And then, then I realized that that was uh really terrible take um and that weddings are actually cool and people should have more big parties where everyone gets drunk and you have a giant cake and you dress up in fancy clothes um and to celebrate to celebrate love and that should happen and also and the like filling out court documents shouldn't happen so i'm pro wedding (laughs) anti-marriage
0: yes (laughs) this is a good take the last little anecdotal thing, <laughs> which I wrote as a, uh, basically as I would a tweet. <clears throat> it's a little bit of a narrative. Me in the, uh, quote unquote, richest country on earth in 2018. Please, sir. May I see a doctor for just a regular checkup insurance company? No, you sack of shit. Go get a full time job in another state or something. <laughs> Whereas, uh, this neat little, uh, Neat little thing from uh, Catalonia, a little story where they said, I was seated near the secretary when a woman came in to ask permission to go to a, uh, not going to pronounce that, a place in order to consult a specialist about a stomach ailment. Without bureaucratic dilatoriness, she immediately received the cost of her journey. So not only did you know does she get the money to go to the doctor, she gets the money to go to the doctor. Yeah, just like all expenses paid trip to doctor.
1: Yeah, pretty. That's how it should be. Health insurance should cover the transportation costs.
0: In in some places it does, uh, especially revolutionary uh, Catalonia. Right. Well, I mean, like for some people with disabilities, you can get insurance that covers, or if you don't like have a car or something, you can often get insurance to cover rides to the hospital, but that's really rare as far as I can tell from people I've talked to, I guess. And it's mostly for people with like severe disabilities and whatnot. I think everyone should have it. Um, Yeah. Like house calls with doctors. We should do that again. We should bring that back. I don't want
1: doctors coming in my home. What the fuck?
0: (laughs) I don't don't care about my home. I don't want to go out to see a doctor.
1: Um, that makes some sense, I guess. Maybe. I'm here to
3: prove you
1: wrong. Hey, buddy, old pal. I'm here to sing my song. And you can kick back, relax, let it all in and let the good time lead line happen
2: again cause I... You can take me
0: down, but I will never die. Ah, uh, moving on to the Spanish Civil War. <laughs>
1: So, the big takeaway from uh, the Spanish Civil War is that violent violent revolution doesn't really work. um that's yeah, I think that's all that needs to be said.
0: uh yeah, um as far as like actually analyzing it as a military conflict, I agree. <laughs> but uh, you know, it'd be super out of form for me to ever view anything as a military conflict. So let's not do that. instead, let's talk about fun stuff. Like, the uh, obnoxious tome, Homage to Catalonia by Orwell. (laughs) He talks about, I guess, mainly Chapter 3. I'm mainly going to be talking about Chapter 3, and I think 4. I didn't read that much of it, because after that, it sort of gets into, like, boring military stuff. But he does point out some pretty important things about it. Mostly about uh, how they organized the militia.
1: How was the militia organized (laughs)
0: Yeah, uh, first of all, there's this neat little quote that I thought was funny because it pisses me off, where Orwell sells, <clears throat> Often I used to gaze round the wintry landscape and marvel at the futility of it all, the inconclusiveness of such a kind of war! Exclamation uh, mark. Which is funny, because that's all war?
1: I mean, isn't Orwell the one who said the war is not meant to be won; it is meant to be continuous? So, like, I, I think, I think he agrees to be there, and that, like, what war wouldn't be futile and inconclusive,
0: right? Because I mean, if you're to like really look at the military conflict sort of stuff, World War One directly contributed to all of this and all of this directly contributed to World War II, which then directly contributed to the Cold War and then, you know, all of the, like, the war on terror, the war on drugs, all that kind of stuff. It just, you know, it's all consequences of each other and all just builds up as, like, processes of the state attempting to establish some shit that nobody else wants. States be statin'. States be statin'. And it's just kind of funny that Orwell... Also fun to note, Orwell, uh, after this, after he got essentially kicked out of Spain by the communists for being in the wrong militia, the not-communist one, he went on vacation with his wife, which he then said was dull and boring.
1: <laughs> vacation with the wife.
0: <laughs> Big dick energy, obviously. <laughs> You know, you're just, like, on a Mediterranean island with your wife. And you're like, I, this is boring. I want to go back to shooting fascists. Honey, this is boring. I want to go back to war. <laughs> That's some early 20th century bullshit for you right there. Uh, oh, uh, I'm not going to read these quotes, but we have some quotes where uh, essentially Orwell just talks about the fact that they had, you know, they still technically had, like, a military hierarchy, but it was socially equal. The general point being the fact that there was, you know, you weren't punished for, like, talking down to a superior officer or anything like that. It was more of, like, they were there to keep everything in motion. The guy in charge of the column wasn't so much the guy that you had to listen to. It was the guy that knew what was going on and sort of just told you, like, oh, we're going to go fight on this hill. I feel like the sort of, like, direct command and follow sort of stuff, I feel... Like, our modern, like, 21st century conception of war is really different than what war was like back then anyway. Because it's kind of... Because following orders when war is this super fast-paced, quasi-genocide sort of thing, like it is nowadays, it makes, you know, a lot more sense to view it as, like, a commanding officer gives an order and it's immediately followed through, whereas early 20th century was very much just sitting in trenches and dying. So the idea of following orders back then isn't exactly like a uh, life prerogative sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, sit in a trench with your gun, you make sure other people die, and then eventually you die. That's how war was back in my day. That's how war should be.
0: (laughs) Right. He also mentions uh, that afterwards, after the whole conflict, a lot of people would mention the fact that the militias, because of this, because of the equalitarian... Is that a British thing, equalitarian, or is that an old thing? Maybe both. Because we say egalitarian now, and it makes more sense because it's easier to say.
1: Well, I mean, it is that is coming from French, so I don't know if that's a good thing, actually. <sighs> True.
0: But also, the letter Q should be abolished. Oh. uh, duh, duh, duh. Okay, so...
1: Oops. This is a pro-Q podcast. We're s- establishing that right now.
0: Oh, okay. I guess. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, a lot of people. I mean, because you can easily, like, I guess, overplay military losses over military uh, successes. A lot of people would do that with respect to the militias. I feel like he's talking in general terms here, when really the people that would do that were kind <clears> of <throat> the common turn. But essentially, uh, they it got replaced by like a drafted system with like the whole military thing, the whole like training and blah blah blah, all that stuff is what would later come about. And I don't think they were really all that much more successful, given that Francoist Spain happened. Yeah. So, yeah, in this case, it is okay to say that they were wrong. Because of military losses. Because they were wrong about organization of a military. Therefore military losses are relevant. I don't think in most cases military losses are a relevant point to prove that someone's wrong. Just got to get that out there now. Before people start to go with the whole uh, military loss thing. With you know anarchists and... Also fascist, yeah. The whole World War II thing, but winning a war doesn't mean you're right about anything.
1: Um, World War II wasn't an ideological debate, actually.
0: I'm sure that will come up a lot, because we live in a shitty society. Orwell also mentions the fact that people didn't really disobey his orders, even though they weren't, like, threatened about it.
1: He just did what he said, because he happened to be right a lot of the time
0: right well they all believed him partially because according to him anyway I don't, I don't really have too much reason to not believe him in this but the uh, the Spaniards in general sort of looked up to the Brits as people that knew about war stuff more than they did and in this case it might be somewhat true because didn't Orwell go to school to become like a military officer in India or some shit like that
1: I have no clue why would
0: I know that why wouldn't you know that
1: i would I know any shit about eric blair oh god
0: i don't, I don't think we should call people by multiple names it, it muddles things so in general spanish civil war is often brought up and i guess the reason why it's relevant to talk about it is because uh i guess what's called leftist infighting which i you know, we, we've recently established ourselves as liftists, not leftists, so we don't have to totally deal with this, per se.
1: To be fair, I go back and forth on how I feel about left as a term.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't like being forced into working with Stalinists, which is a word I'm okay with saying, because they'll all say, oh, there's no such thing as a Stalinist, but I think uh, when you take the word of a man as God, it's okay to... Uh, call you by his name this is his followers but um see, so yeah the it, it it's brought up in a lot of communist versus anarchist things kind of like how the weimar republic is brought up in communist versus social democrat arguments and so uh well i don't totally agree with sectarianism as a, a concept i think it's fun i think it's funny I guess. So here's a whole bunch of evidence to the fact that the communists sucked. <laughs> uh, here's a quote from the aforementioned German newspaper, uh, which I'll, I'll name drop here. Finally. Uh, it's uh, "Die Soziale revolution. Uh, this is from number 12 published in 1937. <clears throat> Translated into English, obviously, because I'm not going to read German here. Why not? Uh, because I didn't quote it in German. Big mistake. Uh, it says, uh, no bigwigs, no literary greats, no pillar saints such as Lenin, Marx, or Stalin had been necessary to inspire the Spanish people against their subjugates, to in- to fight against the drones of human society, and at the same time to develop the constructive guarantees for free, to build a classless social order. I think I should have said that in German. <laughs> because it doesn't make a total amount of sense here but the point is is that the uh the revolution didn't start because lenin or marx or stalin told them to start a revolution it started because it sucked ass as previously mentioned when we we're talking about the cnt yeah
1: uh they couldn't get houses
0: <laughs> houses only only those big wig uh line operators got houses yeah, only the
1: phone answer has got houses
0: so anyway, a whole bunch of controversy stuff about all this, because the Soviets are Soviets, are going to Soviet. Soviets Sovieted it up, as always. So because the international brigades were supported by the Comintern, I think they were created by the Comintern. I don't really remember exactly. I don't know what the hell this podcast is about. So obviously a ton of Soviet state propaganda sort of muddles up exactly what's true and what isn't here. For instance, uh, William Herrick, who uh, he said that the uh, international brigades, and he was part of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade because he's American, uh, followed the communist chain of command, which I think is corroborated by a lot of people. It makes sense, you know, the turn controls the international brigades, whatever. But Herrick is relevant to this whole controversy topic because, according to him, Oliver Law was. Shot by uh, members of the brigade. Rather than the nationalists. Which. Eh. It's kind of. You know like. Why would he say that? And then it becomes like this huge thing. Which you know. You can check the notes. There's some sources. On either side. I think of uh, people debating about this. But you know. It's just that whole thing. Of 50 years after an event. Because, you know, this controversy was in the 80s. Like, 50 years after the event, people still talk about, like, exactly what happened during this one-hour period in the 30s because, God forbid, truth exists. Especially because... Supposedly, well, according to Herrick, I guess I'll, I'll sort of dabble into this as to why it's a controversy... Uh, Oliver Law wasn't exactly the greatest leader And led them into a bunch of ambushes People shot him because they didn't trust him Is his theory Whereas the Soviets really liked Oliver Law Because he was black And he was in charge of an integrated unit Which was a huge historical first And anyone who's familiar with Soviet propaganda Is well aware that the Soviets Loved to show America They were better about black people
1: I mean That's fair <laughs>
0: Yeah, but, like, so obviously they don't like the idea of portraying Oliver Law as incompetent because they want to be the ones to show how, like, they're better at everything. So there's that. There's also this uh, interview with uh, Miguel Rico, who was also in the International Brigades, if I recall. He also talked about how the communists influenced the militias and they tried to uh, recreate the militias as more military than a militia. As part of that, they kind of wanted to purge the anarchists. This uh, this Rico fellow, this uh, Miguel Rico, uh, he gives a little anecdote about the fact that he was injured a lot, twice. It's a lot, I guess, to me. <laughs> So, but one of the times he was in the hospital, uh, when he tried to rejoin his unit, he was immediately jailed for collaborating with fascists. You know, if we're to believe him, it's kind of odd because he was in the hospital the whole time because he was shot fighting fascists. According to him, according to his account, this was actually a pretty common thing where the anarchists in the militias were. Being sort of systematically kicked out or just shot based on false accusations of collaboration, which is a pretty sketch.
1: Sounds like uh, Stalinists were just like, well, if you're not us, you're clearly a fascist.
0: Anyone I don't like is a fascist.
1: Long-standing Stalinist tradition. Calling anyone who's not a part of their particular party a fascist.
0: Well, calling anarchists fascists is something that they love to do. Another little anecdote I suppose that I didn't write down here was uh, there were Italians, obviously, I mean, international brigades, but there was an Italian group. I think it was mostly women or something like that. It's got some name that's based on that historical stuff. I don't care. The important part is that they were kicked out of Italy, essentially, because they... Weren't supported by the Italian Communist Party, which was at the time ran by everyone's favorite meme man Bordiga. Uh,
1: shouldn't it be? Isn't it, Isn't it Bordiga?
0: I don't care. It's Italian. I don't respect Italy. That's fair. The point is Bordiga, as I'm calling him. Uh, as we all know, has this whole idea of doing certain things, subtracts from revolutionary potential, et cetera, et cetera. Sit in your armchair all day and read books or something along those lines, which is... And
1: that's how you maintain RevPot.
0: Which everyone believes is sort of like this quirky little joke. It's an excuse for left comms to sit around watching anime all day. But in practice, what it looks more like is the president of the Communist Party of Italy... Kicking out members of the Communist Party of Italy for supporting a militia that is out in the streets of Italy fighting Mussolini's forces. Literal direct action against fascist uprising that later on succeeded in taking over all of Italy and driving it into the ground in some bullshit international war for the sake of nationalism was to him bad. That militia is bullshit because they're uh, subtracting from the revolutionary potential. And uh, I guess, yes, you are subtracting from the revolutionary potential when you're actively trying to kill the people starting a revolution. The issue is that that revolution wasn't for the sake of communism, it was for the sake of fascism. Yeah, that's why Bordish just sucks.
1: And also kind of just the idea of RevPot in general.
0: So anyway, those, those people ended up fighting in Catalonia as well.
1: well that was nice of them. It was not the first like, group of anti-fascists in Italy, like RDT del
0: Popolo. Yeah, that that's that 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 was them. Uh, that was them. Couldn't yeah. remember the name. Yeah, because oh, uh, <laughs> God forbid I have written down any of these. They had a sick logo. Yes. Yeah. So that that that's that's all we have. That's like the perfect amount of pissing off random groups of leftists for any given segment. <laughs> Let's
1: move on. Let's move on to the next one where we piss off all the leftists. <laughs>
3: New section. (laughs)
0: Let's talk about the uh, Catalan independence referendum. Catalan. (laughs) So I supported the referendum quite openly. I feel like I've lacked in a lot of analysis of modern Spain, actually, here. I'd first like to mention the fact that uh, I did support the referendum, and a lot of people on the left hated me for it. Which is silly, in my opinion. Uh, A lot of them would write off any time an anarchist supported the referendum because they thought that anarchists are all stupid children, as usual. Every anarchist clearly supports 2017 Catalan independence because 1936 Catalonia. Rather than, I can understand that two things can happen in the same place throughout history.
1: Okay, are you sure about that?
0: (laughs) Uh, It's the Treaty of Versailles. I support the Treaty of Versailles because the Treaty of Versailles was good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we kind of have to ask, you know, what what what's this referendum about? What what, what the hell is going on? Essentially, Ca- Catalonia is sort of uh that that uh, you know, it's been gaining power, but at the same time it's been losing power
1: basically catalonia has gained a lot of clout um and and the spanish government's a hater
0: yeah uh that's essentially what happened as well as uh you may have heard of this recent thing that happened in 2008 there was this uh, big financial crash
1: i didn't hear about that must have missed it
0: (laughs) and spain like a lot of governments immediately started cutting programs including a lot in catalonia
1: austerity works don't remember remember that it, it works. It has never gone wrong. It's never not worked.
0: All right. Um, so essentially Ca- Catalan independence is sort of I guess self-determination for the Catalan people. Like Catalonia's been a distinct region for about as long as Spain's been around because it was only called Spain because it had it essentially. And so you know, separate groups of people with separate financial interests, you could say, which I don't think it's entirely financial, it's also cultural, but a lot of people write that off as, like, you know, balkanization and nationalization and whatnot. I guess nationalism, not nationalization. That's a quote-unquote good thing. You know, which I feel all of that's pretty... It's not necessarily wrong, it's just reductionist. But we'll get to that. The first question is... Is self-determination something that, like, uh, anarchists can reasonably support?
1: And again, that's a great question because I haven't worked out my feelings on that.
0: (laughs) You wrote something down a while ago, but then never finished it.
1: Yeah, and I, I have. That's that's exactly it. (laughs) This actually sums up my feelings better than better than what I was saying.
0: Right. So essentially. it's not a fundamental right or wrong. It's a situational and a pragmatic sort of thing of, is it? It
1: It has a lot to do with what the nation that they're intending to found looks like. It has a lot to do with, um, what the nation they're leaving looks like. It has a lot to do with what the movement that's trying to do
0: that looks like. So let's talk about some of those things. Yeah. Uh, like what, what the nation they're trying to leave looks like. So the, uh, the referendum was declared undemocratic by the Spanish king.
1: Well, okay. Well, that that gives us a good picture of the country they're leaving. Um, the king declaring things undemocratic.
0: So, uh, this has actually come up in the discourse quite a bit recently. Uh, even since I've written these. Uh, the, the word democratic is pretty fluid. It doesn't actually mean... It doesn't have an exact mode se there's nothing like you know you can't perfectly judge how democratic something is
1: political discourse democracy just means the good thing
0: right well in a lot of cases it just means the good thing but if we're talking if we're talking about politically politically speaking democratic means something that is supported by a democratic government and what defines a democratic government is essentially the other democratic governments agree with them it's a super arbitrary determiner And it it doesn't mean anything at all. So a king can declare something undemocratic, and we're all led to believe it, because that is a king of a democratic nation.
1: they're a democratic nation, because all the other democratic
0: nations are like, yeah, good enough. All right, so let's talk about what brought those other democratic nations to say good enough. (laughs) And actually, Spain is, according to some bullshit, considered a very good democracy, better than some other ones that are upheld as perfect. So, uh, essentially, what is Spain today was created at the end of the Franco era, where it has these things called autonomous communities, which are essentially like states. They're not in a uh, quote-unquote federation, because it requires explaining what a federation is. So, we have confederations, which are essentially agreed upon groups of states, Uh, a bunch of states get together and they agree. So long as this contract benefits me, I'll stick around. So when a bunch of states do that, that's a confederation, but uh, a federation is when they all decide we're going to create a separate group. That's going to control us. And we're all going to be within it. And once we're in it, we can't leave. It's a legally and contractually binding union. And a step further is a unitary state, something that Spain is, is where that federal government exists before the states do. And those states are only created when the federal government decides that a certain area is allowed itself a government that has a certain amount of power. With Spain's government, they call that devolving power to the communities, these autonomous communities.
1: Language choice there.
0: Yeah. Which, uh, you know, it's good on them. So essentially, this Catalonia trying to secede isn't entirely a, uh, legally speaking, it's very dissimilar to an American state trying to secede. Because American states are, like, sovereign governments. They can't exist wholly without the federal government. But they are dependent on the federal government. And the federal government does stand over them, whereas in in the case of Spain, the uh, the autonomous communities, as much as you know, they could probably be created in such a way that they could exist so- as a sovereign separate from Spain. They aren't meant to ever. So it's not so much secession as it is, you know, the creation of an entirely different state out of an area within Spain. Which is why other governments are extremely against Catalonian independence.
1: Because governments don't like other governments.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think the thing that I overlooked in a lot of this is the fact that a lot of people like to mention that this whole system was created, this new democratic Spain, when it was created, the Socialist Party immediately took power. And they just took power again. And I feel like that influences a lot of these like bullshit debates because a lot of people have this weird ass thing where something says it's socialist, therefore it's good because that's a word I like. <laughs> you no, know, it, it's odd that I uh, that I don't have this written down anywhere. But like uh, when the referendum happened, in case people are yet unaware, it was extremely violent. The uh... let's see if I can pronounce this correctly. <clears throat> the Guardia Seville. What? <laughs> basically marched in and started beating civilians at some point for trying to go vote in an illegal election. And the thing about illegal elections, what you do when you're not an asshole with illegal elections is you ignore them because they're illegal. They don't mean anything like, yeah, sure. It's a spit in your face, a bunch of people voting to say, fuck you, but it doesn't.
1: Yeah. As far as illegal elections go, that's basically just like, that's like sending the police to go, Beat up a group of friends who had a vote on whether or not they're going to like McDonald's or Dairy Queen.
0: It's completely separate from your legal system, and it's bullshit that they they were capable of doing any of that. Yeah. Also, as mentioned before, uh, only using the Castilian pronunciation because I hate the Guardia. which has existed since 1844. It existed through the entirety of Francoist Spain, and it still exists today.
1: Anything that existed in Spain during Francoist Spain should probably not exist.
0: At the end of Francoist Spain, and the only reason I mentioned they existed in Francoist Spain, even though, because, you know, like a group that existed then isn't necessarily the same as it was then, they literally tried to start a coup at the end of Francoist Spain because they didn't like the bringing about of democracy in Spain, as little as they have now.
1: As much as they still have a king and they have a, like, police force that will beat the shit out of people having yeah,
0: but the, the wanted to be like a literal fucking like oppressor army at all times not just when they were sent in by madrid to impose direct role upon a bunch of old ladies at a ballot
1: <laughs> so anyway anyway uh spain sucks um Ten points to America? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, I've never been beaten for trying to vote.
0: <laughs> it's yet to happen to me,
1: Maybe maybe that's maybe that's just a privilege though. Perhaps. Also, it's just this just screams democracy. Um, the, the the former president of Catalonia following the referendum went into exile. And members of his administration also went into exile or were jailed and like and then the like uh, Catalonia like tried to elect a new president and like they went through like four people and the Spanish government was just like no 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 to each one until they got the guy they liked
0: it's extremely democracy yeah they're pretty democrazed, you might
1: say <laughs> they're, they just love democracy They're they're all about it
0: a further note on the extremely non-fascist democracy that is Spain. Uh, so, in 1973, Admiral Luis Carrero Blanco—I pronounced that wrong, but I don't care—he was a fascist piece of shit. Uh, he was the prime minister and heir apparent to Franco, and he was assassinated on December 20th by, uh, you know, a, a fairly sketchy group called ETA. Or whatever is a Basque separatist group, and they launched him somewhere around twenty feet into the air with a car bomb, <clears throat> which is excellent.
1: That's really good. That's the how you should treat fascists,
0: All right? And and as such, because a fuck fascists and B, that is a hilarious way to kill one. There have been tons of jokes throughout history, you know, since the seventies, I guess, about this, and uh, one sh- such jokester was a uh, Cassandra Vera uh, who was arrested in Spain for quote unquote glorifying terrorism in March of 2017 because she had written jokes about this essentially along the lines of like he, he cre- like recreated the uh, space program in Spain stuff like that. Um, that's pretty funny. Yeah, they're good jokes. Uh, Look into it if you're looking for some humor. We're not about jokes here, though. It's the No Jokes Allowed podcast. Uh, If I recall correctly, somewhere else, they had quoted her uh, crime as something like... uh, It's like mocking the... uh, They don't use the term mocking. They use a more legalistic term for, like... uh, Essentially, just mocking the victims of terrorism. Which, of course... (laughs) In this case, is literally the uh, government of Spain saying, "Please don't make fun of our fascist daddy." <laughs> Can you
1: imagine if the U.S. government like sent someone to jail every time they made a Bush did nine eleven joke?
0: God, we would all be fucked.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I would be. I would be in like. I'd be in. I'd be in Guantanamo Bay for my nine eleven never happened memes. Jesus.
0: Uh, lo- <laughs> Uh, Her sentence was uh, overturned uh, this year, I believe, probably because uh, even that uh, seemed too fascist for Spain. So, eh, you know, take that as you will. Fun little anecdote sort of speaks to uh, their policy with respect to uh, making fun of dead fascists. Which, uh, I guess, public statement here and now, we are very pro-making fun of dead fascists. Making fun
1: of dead fascists is a good thing to do.
0: If you didn't want to be made fun of when you died, maybe you shouldn't have been a fascist.
1: Maybe. If you didn't want to get made fun of, maybe you shouldn't have died. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're dead, you fucked up. <laughs> So moving on uh this is the like economic arguments against uh Catalan independence uh they are common around the time of the referendum or that uh Catalonia uh is wealthy and provides more in taxes to Spain than they receive back and they're you know they're responsible for what is it nineteen percent of Spanish GDP, and like but only like less than that of the population basically the uh, people argue that they're just like rich people who don't want to pay taxes, and that Catalonia leaving Spain would result in less money going towards poor people through taxation and social welfare programs.
0: Which is a uh, an extremely questionable case to make, given that fascist monarchies tend to not take money from rich people to give to the poor. Yeah, so
1: I, I, I don't know much about the about Spain's welfare state. It's probably better than America's, but I'd also venture and guess that it's probably not as good as it could be because, as you said, fascist monarchies tend to not do that.
0: As we would like to boil down the entire argument is to claim that Spain Robin Hoods.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that monarchies tend to be incredibly pro-Robin Hood, that's an observable thing.
0: Robin fact. Hood was the story about crowning a king and making him very powerful and also mm-hmm. rich. Yeah. Giving him money, if you will, so that he may trickle it down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I do think it's interesting that a lot of the arguments were sort of centered around the sort of idea that it's just like Western anarchists talking about like i guess not western like american anarchists speaking over the people there but they're like there were a lot of anarchists in catalonia uh this thing possibly previously mentioned CNT supported a lot of it
1: yeah they they called for uh they they supported like a general strike in support of the referendum so that was cool
0: if, if i recall there there was an initial strike or something like that in support of the referendum though a lot of, a lot of it wasn't necessarily in support of the referendum so much as in support of uh, fuck Madrid
1: in support of like, Hey, we should be allowed to have this referendum without being beaten by police.
0: (laughs) Right. So, I mean, it wasn't per se pro yes on the referendum so much as pro have the referendum.
1: Yeah, it was, it was pro let us decide whether like for ourselves whether or not we're going to do this don't just like come and beat us with uh batons for trying
0: don't tell don't tell us that we're doing democracy wrong Oh, oh great king of ours
1: oh glorious king
0: something i thought that was really funny with respect to uh a lot of people being you know their views on electoralism and like boycotting votes and whatnot is uh So about 42.3% of the uh, eligible voters showed up, and approximately 90% voted for independence, which has been cited as being because the unionists boycotted the referendum. So, you know, very classic boycotting referendums gets your way. They didn't vote, and therefore it was pretty darn close to unanimous to just leave because everyone that disagreed with it just didn't vote just fun that's that's how statistics works in my opinion
1: uh i was trying to i was trying to see what the voter turnout in the u.s presidential election was compared to that
0: uh it's usually in somewhere in the 40s for presidential elections if i recall
1: the president no it's it's in the 50s really so yeah so it was only only so much only so much higher than that (laughs) even with like Large amounts of people like boycotting this referendum. <laughs> they still like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why that's so funny to me. But like, people in the U.S. Uh, don't care. And <laughs> no. politics, I guess. Um, no, no. There's a thing. The U.S. government tries to keep people from voting anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's there's still a lot of movements after the referendum. You know, this is still an ongoing thing. It's not like you know. The central government told them to shut up and everyone was immediately like, well, if, if the government says so, given that, you know, their intention was to leave said government, I don't think that they're entirely inclined to listen to said government. So recently there have been, uh I don't really have the news stories in front of me for this, but there have been a lot of like marches and stuff for unions and unionism. <laughs> I guess the two sides here. Which I'm sure anyone who's aware with basic fascist symbolism will enjoy uh, playing a little game of I Spy with some videos of the pro-union marches. (laughs) Uh, Plenty of uh, flags of not Spain, but Francoist Spain. Pretty pretty interesting choice. That is very interesting. Yeah, a lot of Roman salutes
1: yeah i had a. I heard a lot of i heard a lot of accusations of like nationalism among, among the catalonian independence movement which is certainly there like there's no denying that
0: right no there's a lot of nationalism in a lot of the uh, independence movements throughout spain that, that's we can't deny that and i don't intend to.
1: but like the spanish like pro-union like i see like every every time i see like a video of one of their Marches or whether rallies or something, there's just like, oh, there's a fascist flag. There's like, like they're like they're always overwhelmingly present. Like they make up such a large group within that flag movement.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a pretty questionable sort of idea. This, uh, especially given that a lot of them are super like, if they're not fascist, they're monarchist.
1: Yeah, I think I think the reason for that is that there's lots of reasons to be pro independence for whatever group you belong to in within Spain, you know, good and bad reasons. But like, there just like is no good reason to be pro Spain continuing to exist as it does.
0: <laughs> right. It's a it's a very questionable system. I, I'm not a fan of unitary states. <laughs> Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Goth Angel sinners with no vowels. We have a Patreon you can donate to so we don't have to spend campaign funds on Steam games at Patreon.com slash Goth Angel with no vowels. We have an Instagram, same username. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at TrueBot.
1: And I'm at ShitPostScarcity with no I and shit. Because I am not shit. i cool.
0: <laughs> have a good night and be sure to join us next... Uh... Whenever we release another episode, uh, for part three of Goth Angel Sinners, when we'll be discussing more history, yay, uh, with the Paris Commune.
1: We're not a history We're podcast. A history podcast now.
0: I'm... Uh, also for, uh, for more stuff related to this that it didn't quite cover, uh, you can check the notes, which will be on anarchy.website for public purview with more links and stuff.